Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, it usually happens late in the evening. I'm out on some marsh somewhere right in front of a bayou. Uh, maybe I've caught a few fish, but I just feel it. I feel it in my bones. There's that big old fish waiting for me, whether it's a trout or a redfish or whatever it may be. And I start casting and casting before it gets dark. And I'm like, come on, baby. I usually say that those exact words. Come on, baby. Just takes one. Just takes one. I know you guys have been there yourselves. And then at some point when it's almost dark, I usually say, bite me. And that's uh, that's where the, the name of this show came from because uh, we've all been there. I am John Lopez. That is Captain Scott Knoll, and this is Bite Me. It's a Texas saltwater fishing podcast with me and Captain Scott. It's the best in Texas inshore and offshore insight. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? I will let you know, but I want to let you know first. Uh, first of all, really good to see you again. Hadn't seen you since last week. Uh, Captain Scott, uh, you been catching any fish? I got flooded in. Oh, that's right. So. We've we've had a whole lot of rain down in Port O'Connor, and uh, I my place is way back in the woods, mm-hmm. and my dirt road uh, went under pretty deep. You sent me a couple pictures. Yeah, I was to the point where it was getting up over the bottom of my doors, <laughs> so I just I canceled some trips and. That's right. We just uh, you we took, took care it easy. Of, you took care of business. Got rid of all the mosquitoes and yeah, I've been killing else. mosquitoes and chasing snakes. Mm-hmm. Killed right. a rattlesnake on the porch yesterday. You did? Oh yeah. God, I hate rattlesnakes yeah. so much. It was coiled up in a potted plant on the porch. Oh baby, I hate those so yeah. much. Uh, all right, so here's what we're going to talk about today. Speaking of which, that's why I asked you about that first. We got this from one of our uh, listeners, and first of all, thank you so much for uh great compliments man uh look captain scott and i have got a lot of experience we we kind of know what we're doing he knows a lot more than i do uh and we like to share that knowledge because uh it's very rare uh we we thought there was a little uh a little spot in the market 
uh, for Texas saltwater fishing, inshore mostly, but certainly offshore as well. He's great. Uh, He's a great fisherman offshore. You were catching some jacks, I know, recently, and uh, I know you do the tarpon thing, and so we can do some offshore as well. We want to include everybody, and that's you're going to find out exactly what I'm talking about here in a second, but thank you for the kind words. If you have any questions, uh, anything you want us to talk about, I've gotten a few texts. If you've texted or messaged me on Too Cool Fishing or uh, any of the other Facebook pages that I'm on or me directly, you can do that at Twitter uh, on at Lopez on Sports, Instagram, also, Lopez on Sports, Facebook, it's John Lopez. You can find me very easily. Scott, Captain Scott has his uh, his Facebook page as well, and he is Captain Scott Knoll. Spell out the word captain.com, uh, captainscottknoll.com. We really appreciate the, the kind words. Uh, we know it's going to get better. There's a lot to talk about, and here's what we're talking about today. Speaking of what Captain Scott just said, how do rainfall and salinity levels affect red sh- uh, redfish in uh, marshes and, and back lakes? Uh, I know you you know you're one of the best red fishermen uh, on the planet. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to, and that and by the way, that topic came from one of our uh, listeners, one of our subscribers who've downloaded this podcast. Uh, also available now on iTunes, so it's available on all the platforms: SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your. Uh, your podcast, and certainly right here on SportsRadio610.com. Here's another, here's what else we're talking about today. What about the bait soakers, the rock walkers, the surf fishermen, whether you're you're fishing with bait, dead bait, live bait, or you like to hit the jetties and the pier and the banks with your artificials. I feel like they get short shrift a lot. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk to to your you fine folks that do that, and I think we all do it at some point. The fall flounder run, fingers crossed, might be upon us. Certainly by this weekend, when uh, the the temperatures start to to, to co- uh, cool a little bit. So we're gonna talk about those strategies. Uh, you know what needs to change, how flounder are affected by the weather, by the winter we had compared to other fish. A little bit of snook talk again. We had some good feedback on that. Captain Scott knows his stuff on there. And then tides right now. The tides are moving, certainly with the weather that we're talking about. Uh, We'll get into the tides. When to go before and after cool fronts. That's happening right now. Uh, Dropping pressure versus rising pressure. I've been asked this question a lot. When to go, how to go, what it means. And then we'll give you your regular uh, reports. To our knowledge, uh, we've been out on the water, and we know people at all these bays, Trinity, East Bay, Matagorda, Port O'Connor, Sabine, Rockport, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All right, let's start right there. Captain Scott, I'm going to give you the floor because rainfall and salinity levels has been the topic in our Texas Bay systems since, gosh, for yeah. almost a year. Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy past few months, mm-hmm. uh, especially these last few weeks. On my part of the coast around Port O'Connor, uh, we're pushing around 40 inches for the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just crazy amount of rain. Uh, everything... All the back lakes got fresh. Right. Uh, I messed around back there, poking around, looking. Uh, found a lot of that brackish-looking water, the the tannin-stained Redfish water, water. <laughs> way back in there. And uh, not a lot of bait moving around in right. that. So what I'm finding is the redfish more out on the, the open shorelines mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, where there's a little more water flow. But right now, we've got this big storm in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. And it's pushing some huge, huge tides up. I mean, roads are getting flooded. Uh, pens is closed. I don't mm-hmm. know if you knew that. I did uh, not. They closed pens north and south mm. uh, because the water's up to the dunes. So that big push of water is going to it's going to change things a little bit. Right. It's it's a really odd time because we've got all that fresh water. Mm-hmm. We've got this huge storm surge push. 
that's coming in. And then we got a front blowing in yeah. this week that's supposed to be our first really good front. I think the front front can be a good thing. Oh, it's going to be a good thing. Now, the tides, that much water coming up is just so frustrating. It's so, hard. It's so frustrating. All right, so let's let's do what we do. How do you approach tides uh, when the water is that high? And then I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll talk about what I do like to do. I get as far back as I can go. Mm-hmm. Redfish are going to push and push and push. And what I found on some of these storm tides in the past uh, – around Greens Lake in Galveston, mm-hmm. places like that. I went back there, I forgot, we had one storm that was going into Louisiana, and it pushed our tides real, real high several right. years back. And I just went out there messing around just to see see what the marsh looked like, mm-hmm. and it was completely underwater. <laughs> uh, I ended up pulling all through the grass, places mm-hmm. that's dry land, and it was foot, foot and a half deep right. where it should be dry land. Well, I kept hearing slurping noises, and I got to really looking around, and there's these little snails out in the marsh in the in the cordgrass called periwinkle snails. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they're usually down at the bottom of the grass, you know, feeding feeding on the they were floating the base. They were climbing up the stalks. Yeah, and as they were up on the top of the stalks, the redfish were coming up there oh, and man. just slurping them. Uh, I don't have a fly that matches a periwinkle. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but what a frustrating. Up, yeah, what I ended up doing was just going in there and just slapping a fly as hard as I could because mm-hmm. the reds let you get right up on top of them. And I'd just slap a fly down right, right near them Make the noise. and get their attention. And that was the only way that I could get them to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't land a single one, though. No, was that right? Broke every one of them because off. Because of all the They all were just the running stuff. through the grass. Yeah, all the stuff in the water. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I lost a lot of flies. But it was fun. <laughs> Big fish, too. And uh, a lot of water movement when you get the tides. And, and the salinity level goes way down, if not uh, practically fresh. Now, we always hear uh, redfish can handle it. You know, a lot better than any other right. fish, which is true. Right. Um, but it, let's say, let's say you you know you're offshore a little bit. Uh, you're in the trout and flounder game. Um, the, the salinity level to me is is everything. Right. Uh, they they will not they those fish outside of redfish will just won't be there unless they're underneath uh, the fresh water. And that's another thing that maybe some people don't understand or haven't heard. Um, fresh water is lighter than the salt water. It, it'll it'll sit. It'll be right. brown water on top. Right. Sometimes if you feel like there's good tide movement, if you feel like there's good and you see some bait, because you will see some bait even in the so-called fresh water, and, you're, and if you're throwing a top water or you're throwing a twitch bait or you're up on top, uh, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, there's no fish here. Sometimes you got to go off a little bit deeper, get underneath the fresh water with a nice heavy jig. I said earlier I like to use a heavier 16th, uh, I mean, excuse me, 3 ounce, which is kind of goes, gets counterintuitive to a lot of people, but I like it, in, especially in those situations, to get under the water quickly uh, and be able to drag it and keep it down there a little bit, and you might find some fish. So I, and I'm sure you've had some of the same experiences. Well, that biggest snook that I caught last year was right after the, the snow mm-hmm. that we had in December. I was oh, down South awful. Padre, freezing cold, snowing, and then... I actually caught that snook in some snow melt. Oh, my <laughs> God. Believe it or not. Like ice fishing. It was strange. Uh, <clears throat> there was a big field and had some culverts. Mm-hmm. And it had been holding snow. And when the snow melted, when it got up in the 70s two days later, yeah, uh, the snow melted and it was coming out through those pipes, but it was dirty, dirty. Totally fresh and dirty. And we were looking at it as we went by it. And we said, man, it's, it's messed up his this guy's spot. He's a young guy down there yeah. that I was fishing with. And he said, man, it's really messed my spot up. And as we were trolling motor and by it, all of a sudden a snook blew up right in the middle of it. And that totally dark brown, nasty looking water <laughs> opened up into a hole and you could see the clear water underneath it. Yeah. And we stopped there and we caught 30, 40, 50 snook. Oh my um, gosh. Just crazy. 
and the snook were up underneath the mullet in, in, in a marsh now this was along my edge of a ship channel okay so there. this yeah this was in some structure Padre. yeah but they were they were feeding mm-hmm. the mullet were sitting in that dirty water it was only like two or three inches of dirty water on top <laughs> yeah and the mullet were in that and the snook were underneath it and they mm-hmm. were blasting from underneath well I, you know i said this like i think in episode two uh this is episode four uh, I'll say it again for those who haven't heard all our episodes. Uh, the, the, just keep telling yourself, trout and snook are like tigers. They are predators. They hide in the muck. They hide in the right. in the jungle, waiting for their prey to come by, and then they jump out and attack. So the dirty water is much like a dirty streak. Sure. Uh, they, they 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 are underneath. It's kind of backwards, but uh, wherever the bait is, they come and attack. So that, that makes it sense. Here's the other thing: sometimes dirty water is deep, and you and there are no fish. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've fished some fishless water a few times. Yeah, yeah. We've um, all done that. But uh, but it's worth a try. It's worth not giving up too soon if, if you, you see, especially see some, some fishy stuff. You saw a snook pop. Yeah, uh, it was obvious for yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see some bait sometimes. Blew up a mullet. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was a no-brainer to mm-hmm. stop there. You know what? We're, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, you, you talked about tides coming in and pushing this water. And snook. Let's start. Let's go ahead and go there right now uh, on this uh, Bite Me podcast. Uh, I, I'm I'm John Lopez. That's Captain Scott Knoll. Uh, you can find him at captainscottknoll.com. Find me right here and on sportsradio610.com. All right, let's go with the tides. I know we can do a lot uh, on this, and we will in continuous uh, uh, in, in upcoming episodes. But what? Let's talk about tides as it pertains to where we are right now, because our fishermen, our our listeners are going fishing this weekend. There's going to be some tidal, some water pushing. There's going to be some tidal movement. Uh, I think there's two tides on Saturday. I'll double check as 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 you're talking. But what are we? What are the tide? What are the tides doing right here that we need to know about? Well, you've got this massive storm out in the Gulf. Yeah, it's going to Florida, but it's it's sitting there spinning, so mm-hmm. it's pushing our tides up. Uh, that's going to put a lot of salt water back in to mix with all this fresh water we've just gotten from all these rains. Mm-hmm. So the tides are sitting really, really high right now. I don't think your tide schedule is going to make a whole heck of a lot of difference. All right. Uh, people don't – that's one of the biggest questions I get on the boat a lot is, okay, well, I fish this area and I fish that area. The tide charts just don't work for me. Well, they're different all up and down the coast for yeah. one thing. But uh, even within a certain bay system, they change – completely and they and they're late in they're some areas much later yeah you know trinity bay is so far behind everything unless you live yeah. up in trinity bay and spend all your time and up you there, know it's it. hard to understand the tides mm-hmm. up there uh but then the wind can also cancel out a tide or it can make a tide stronger right that's why we have such high tides right now we've got that big push of water uh when i left from down port o'connor the wind was blowing 20 Man. 25 drake southeast so anytime that the tide's coming in that southeast wind is pushing up through the jetties with it. Mm-hmm. That's going to push more water in than what the tide schedule said. Then when the tide turns to go back out, it can't it's go still back coming out. In. It's still pushing against it, yeah. and it'll stand those. It, that's when it gets really rough out there, too. It'll stand right. those waves up right in the mouth of the jetties. Uh, so it doesn't allow as much water to drain out. Then you get the next incoming tide. Now you got more water. Right. So it just builds and builds and builds. Then you get a front like what we have coming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a northeast front or northwest front. It it's makes kind a big of from difference. what I from what I have been looking at as of uh, you know today, uh, going into this weekend, it's more northeast. Okay, if it's northeast, it's not going to do us any good. Mm-hmm. It's not going to push any of that water out. Uh, if it had more north to northwest, northwest being the best, north yeah. okay, 
in terms of getting the the the, the shrimp out basically right. if it yeah. starts blowing 15 yeah. 20 miles an hour out of the northwest that's what i call a dump day mm-hmm. and you need to get out there yeah people always i'm glad you brought that up too and we'll get back to the tides and uh, and and certainly uh, the 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 snook but people always talk about the sweet southeast you know that that's that's conditions uh that's the best fishing conditions for all of us to be happy uh, right. generally generally five to ten southeast yeah generally speaking yeah. that's where you want to go because you're also having a pleasant day on the water probably not too choppy right uh there's a, there's a little bit of stuff coming out of the marshes or wherever you're, you're fishing whether and by the way you know we're talking about uh upper coast middle coast uh you know lower coast but but sometimes that northwest wind or a west wind one of the best days i've ever had uh was a flat west wind uh, it, it, it might not be comfortable, but what you're talking about it, I don't use that term, but that's a good term, a kind of a dump day. There are places on our base system on the west side of, of the base system that don't get stuff dumped out very often. Right. Everything pushes in. Well, then when it does and it's good conditions, it's glorious. It's some of the best fishing you'll ever see is when yeah. you've got a northwest front blowing in 15, 20, 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's bumpy. It might rain on you. <laughs> it, it's going to get nasty, but you can have the best days that you've ever had. Just on be those careful. Days. Yeah, it, you know, plan your route. You go know, to the right boat ramp. Go to the right boat ramp. Mm-hmm. Know your route. Know that you know where you can cut in, where you can't cut where in. Where it's protected and stay protected, and know that the water level is going to drop dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the water drop in Galveston Bay two to three feet on a strong, strong northwest wind. Yeah. Uh, in just a matter of hours, you can get yourself in trouble. You'll be bouncing quick. off of a shell, right? Or just stuck. Yeah, or just, I've, trust me, I've done that. <laughs> we talk about boat ramp confessionals. I've done that one. That's a good. I'll get to that one one of these uh, one of these episodes where I was stuck, like like stuck, stuck, like the boat was oh, yeah. was you know tining. Isn't that the term they use? Because it was the middle of the the, the hull was so stuck yeah. on it. When you get stuck, <laughs> when you run up on it, and then the boat tilts, that yeah, slow tilt, that's, then you know you're in trouble. That's not good. Uh, all right, back to tides now. All right, so this weekend, uh, I just looked uh, on my uh, on the app that I use. Uh, it looks like there's going to be two tides going out most of the morning for most of the most of the middle and upper coast, uh, coming in after about twelve to one, depending on where you are. Uh, it's good. It says mainly northeast to east wind is what I'm looking at now up to the up to the date. But what are the tides doing? What do we need to be looking for with those conditions? They're going to be above normal. Yeah, the falling tide is really not going to fall have any effect. Yeah, uh, we're just going to keep getting pushed with more and more water. The good thing about it, I guess, would be that we're going to have salt water coming in mm-hmm. to mix in with all this this fresh water dump that we've gotten. Right. Uh, so that that could push the fish right up against shorelines. Uh, the bait fish are going to go hide. Mm-hmm. They're going to get in that salt grass. Well, the salt grass is going to have a foot or two of water in it. Bait fish will be up in there. It might be tough fishing. I might say uh, don't don't be afraid. It might be tough tough fishing. You might stumble into some shrimp dumping out though. It could happen. You know, it's yeah, probably a little early for that. It's probably a little bit early. Yeah. But if the weather cools enough and the tide helps enough, they can't fight the currents as, as easily. I've heard stories just this week. A buddy of mine said he he was looking at six inch shrimp. You know, in the marshes when sure. he saw them. There's some big ones in big there. Big ocean. So well, that's going to dump out at some point. They've got to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the cycle of life. You know, that's what yeah. happens. Yeah. Uh, well, we did have a drill dry summer. And so a lot of times in those super dry summers when salinity stays real high in the marsh, you don't get a good shrimp hatch. Yeah. Then you get these late rains and you have a late shrimp hatch. Right. Some of my best years in Galveston have been on those drought years where we got rain in September. 
and then you're catching the in shrimp, November, the, right? The shrimp stayed in there until December. Yeah, I, I've done that. And uh, we had small, small redfish, candy type shrimp mm-hmm. way back there in the marsh, all the way into middle of December. And that's another thing I want to, and you and I emphasize this a lot, uh, uh, emphasize to our to our listeners right now. If we've all had those days, we're like, man, I'm catching fish, but. I don't understand why I'm catching fish right here this time of year in this spot or whatever. And that reminded me because there was one late November. I'll never forget it because it was like the day after Thanksgiving. Had family in and I wanted to avoid them. So I left after. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I went down fishing the, the day after, the, as soon as I could, the morning after Thanksgiving. And it was pretty chilly. And I was up in the northeast end of, of this bay. Uh, I think it was, I, th- I don't know if it was Sabine or East Matagor. Anyway, um, and I, I just saw a couple things, saw a couple shrimp pop. I said, all right, well, I know something's here. And just started just hammering them, just hammering the trout, big, fat, juicy trout. Never caught trout there before, even on a good day, much less. Well, you got to tell yourself when you have those days, remember it, mark it. And they were there for a reason. There's some reason they were there. Yes. Whether it was just happened to be the bait moving through and they were following or the, the late hatch like you're talking about could have been the late hatch mm-hmm. you know and the sharp the shrimp were starting to move out of the marsh and they were taking advantage of it i fish make a living out there that's yeah, what they do that's all they do yeah that's all they do and so they know more about what's going on than we do mm-hmm. and they're gonna migrate to those places where the the eating is the easiest mm-hmm. uh i was having to talk one of the guys i i talked to quite a bit uh Caleb McCumber. Oh, he, I know Caleb. You know yeah. Caleb. He, yeah. and I, he and I were talking this week about big trout, yeah. and he'd been listening to the show a little bit. And, and uh, he, he said, they're the biggest, laziest. I won't go into everything that he said because we're on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, you can say but, it on this uh, air, but don't. It's all yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> Some people, uh, a couple of our listeners talk about it, they're, they're teaching their kids more about fishing by, by playing yeah. this, so let's not. Well, but the, go they're, ahead. They're the biggest, <laughs> laziest things out there. And the way to catch them, the big, big trout – is to think like that. Realize that fat they are lazy. fat and lazy, and they want the easiest thing mm-hmm. in front of them. It's great advice. So, yeah, everybody uses the corkies. That's why. The corky Slow just sits sinking. there. And it can be right in front of their face. That's why I like flies. Yeah. Fly fly fishing, you can dance a fly right in front of a fish's face for right. a long time. And uh, it may take the fourth or fifth time. It may take a while. <laughs> but eventually, you're going to irritate them into biting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it, as we got talking more and more about it, uh, that was kind of the, what we boiled it down to. Is yeah. They're just lazy, and they're going to take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, why they like big baits. And they like big baits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way they don't have to chase a bunch of little shrimp around right. and uh, use up a bunch of energy. So it was just – It's a good way to put it. It was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I wish I could say everything that he said, but <laughs> it, it was kind of cool. We'll get, we'll get Caleb on at some <laughs> point. Uh, and by the way, uh, I believe you're going as well, but I'm going to be going this week to uh, the CCA Texas Star Tournament Banquet. Uh, so people that talk about uh, the big ones that got away, these are the ones that didn't get away. They won boats and boat and trailers and uh, all kinds of rewards because that. So we'll get some of those interviews done and, and uh, set that up real soon on the, on the next podcast. All right. Everybody, eh, not everybody. Let's say 90% of the people listening to us at some point started fishing. And when they started fishing, it was probably with dead shrimp, maybe live shrimp, dead bait, or maybe uh, a, a double drop, you know, spec rig off of the jetties, yep. off the uh, off the pier, off the shoreline. Uh, I remember my dad and I, when I first started using artificials, 
Well, it was uh, Access Road Number Two, Boykins. It's still it's still in my uh, head. Access Road Number Two down in Port Aransas. We would turn there. That's when you could drive on the beach. Right. And it was the water was calm. I had an old double drop, you know, a spec rig, and that's where I learned how to use. Uh, so everybody's learned. I think the majority of our our, our listeners learned how to fish uh, uh, on the rocks and on the jetties and I mean on the piers, et cetera. I think we should address that a little bit. I think there, there's some good, a lot of our listeners don't have boats, don't uh, go out with guides and everything. There are tactics that are more successful than others uh, when you're on the shoreline or the, or the jetties. Sure. Uh, the thing is, you're limited. You know, you're, you've, you've lim- you're limited in yourself to, mm-hmm. to where you're going to be able to go on that particular day. Sure. Uh, with a boat and everything, you, we can move around, we can do things... Yeah, you know, if something's not, if our first idea is not working, yeah, there's another one. Uh, we got another idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like we talked about kayak fishing before. It made me a better fisherman because totally, I knew I couldn't just fire up and take off across the bay. I had to work that area, mm-hmm. and it made you learn those particular areas. So what I tell a lot of people that are going to be wade fishing, or they're going to start kayak fishing, and they're going to fish smaller area, pick an area. Don't try to fish the whole bay system. Exactly. Pick one area and become an expert on it. Wait it, walk it, know it. There's no better way to learn an area than to wait it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can wait around out there. You feel where the shell is with your feet. You know where the guts are. And uh, you can fall off in over your head. And you but, learn a lot. <laughs> you, know, you, 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 you learn you, so you, much about the bottom structure. Right. And you can feel the water moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a kayak, one of my tips to people learning a marsh They'd always say, well, how do you know which lakes you want to go into? Go to the mouth of the lake, mm-hmm. wherever the little bayou is, take your paddle and stick it down into the mud. Right. If the mud's hard, go fish that lake. Go up that ditch. Mm-hmm. Go figure out what's back there because that means it's got flow. If it's real soft and silty, bypass If that you're one. sinking in it. For whatever reason, that, that little bayou doesn't get a lot of flow mm-hmm. if it's real soft. Uh, the ones that are hard... They've got a lot of flow. Right. Follow that one back there and go fish that lake. That fish, that lake will have more fish in it mm-hmm. than one with a soft bottom. Uh, that's totally true. Um, what I tell people, and I do it occasionally, if, if it's bad weather and I don't feel like getting the boat out, uh, I'll, I'll still go do this because I, I enjoy it. It's kind of a touchstone to my youth. You know, as I was just talking, I learned how to fish with my dad when I was a kid on the jetties and on piers and on wading and all that stuff. Um, you can, I, I always say travel light. Because, you know, just like on the jetties, very rarely do you just, uh, if I'm in my boat, you know, put my uh, trolling motor down and, and just hold it in one spot, unless I'm catching fish, you know, you can move around right. a little bit. You know, put a backpack on with some water in, or whatever snacks you have, a uh, couple of rods that you like. Go, don't be afraid to move up and down those right. jetties some. I see people camp out yes. in spots. Yes, You know, up and down the Texas City Dyke and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different places like that. What you're talking about is perfect. Yeah. Uh, travel light. And just go walk down that jetty and just cast, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the flounder run coming up. Those flounder are moving down those rocks. Yep. Uh, Texas City Dyke's a great place for it. Uh, they're going to move along the the north jetty at, at Galveston. Sure. They're going to move along that area right there. Uh, so moving and finding the right spot, mm-hmm. uh, finding a little gut. You can't really tell from the rocks that there was a gut there, but by casting into it, you'll know. And you start catching some fish there. Right. Make a middle note. And, There's uh, a reason those fish were there. And, I, and neither you nor I are, are big bait fishermen, uh, but we do. If there's kids or first-timers, we'll get some live bait. Or I don't really fish with dead bait anymore. But but if you're fishing with bait, the, uh, the other thing I like to tell people is 
you know, I don't want to put anybody out of business, but those big giant rigs that you see at at, at different stores with all the beads and, and all the, <laughs> the wire, heavy wire right. and stuff, just walk right past those. Yeah. Just walk right past yeah. those. The, the best rigs, if you're fishing with bait, are, are homemade, and they're really, really simple. Real simple. Uh, how, what are your two favorite? I use a, a, a little kale hook, mm-hmm. you know, a small size kale hook. I don't, you know, used to, we all use treble hooks. We yeah. used a number eight or number 10 treble hook right. for our shrimp. I use the kale hook. I started doing that when my kids were little. Mm-hmm. Uh, just safety yeah as much as anything but i found that they didn't even have to set the hook so no, much it's like a circle hook uh, it's yeah. almost it's similar to a circle hook yeah uh the wire is real real thin so it doesn't kill your shrimp and uh, float that under a cork uh bingo it could be 10 inches under it or could be two or three feet under it mm-hmm. uh, that works then also the sliding egg egg sinker just enough I, you see people throwing Big old three giant. quarter ounce yeah. egg sinker out there just whatever it takes just to keep it down there on the bottom just keep it taut uh, and, and yeah. where your line is is taut enough where you can feel the feel the bite yeah i usually get the uh, obviously i use the, the cork like you do uh but i i'll get probably an arm and a half length of 30 pound monofilament tie a circle hook on one end of it tie a weight on the other end of it about two-thirds of the way up just tie a knot between so it just drops like that right. well, they have, there's a name for that so that, that, uh, i'm forgetting it but anyway uh so basically the the weight is below the hook and just throw it out there it's monofilament it's third liter it's easy tie that to your line good to go bingo bango you don't need all the beads you don't need all the right. hooks you don't need all that stuff yeah. i mean god bless them i hope they make a lot of money selling those but you don't need them well i do the do a hook 18 to 24 inches of yeah of liter a little small swivel and then above the swivel put it a one sixteenth or one eighth ounce little egg egg yeah, sinker on yeah. it. It's real small, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I've had the kids doing forever, and uh, it works. Travel light that includes on uh, that includes if you're weight fishing, if you're in a bay system, or, or or on the shore, if it's on surf, if it's real calm. Don't be afraid to move around if you see some some bait or something down you know the way the way a little bit. Go over there. I mean, uh, people just tend like you say plant themselves. And stay there. That's fine if you want to just drink beer and have a sandwich and whatever. But if you want to catch fish, there's there's ways with even with without a boat, or, you know, just by uh, doing that. And you said flounder run. That's a perfect transition to to the next thing I want to talk about. Um, just about time. Uh, everybody gets a little excited mm-hmm. when the first front hits, mm-hmm. like this week when when that temperature drops in the fifties. This week, everybody will think, oh man, flounder runs on. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it, well, it is and it isn't. The The little males are going to be the first ones to pull out. They're staging. And they're 12, 14 inch. That's when you get get your little ones. Uh, the mamas are still back in the marsh. Mm-hmm. I still see them back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may move more towards the mouth of the, of the marsh. Right. They may move towards the drains and lay up, and they're waiting on those dump days, too. Cause yeah, they are. They're going to really feast on those little finger mullet and mm-hmm. things as they're getting washed out of the marsh on the on a dump a drain t- yeah. tide uh but those big ones they'll stick around back there for a good while yeah uh i'd i would go out and fish that uh the flounder run the typical areas you know along the galveston ship channel and mm-hmm. places like that uh, i would go to those generally maybe the week of thanksgiving or the week before thanksgiving yeah and on through the first week or so of december and that's when i could get the biggest the flounder. big the big flounder uh before that it's it's a whole lot of tater chips yeah you know, the little guys yeah uh the other part about it is keep in mind that they call it a flounder run for a reason 
uh, there's movement, you know, especially the smaller ones, as you said. Uh, You might catch two flounder. You know, on this little point of grass, which everybody knows what to do, you know, go to the grass, go to the edges, get it up in there. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I can't, I haven't caught one in, a, in an hour. Well, they're moving. Right. They're moving. <laughs> they, they call it a run. Yeah. For, now, there might be some right. others come in, but they call it a run for a reason. Well, now I had some areas along there that I, that could, stack. I could camp up. Yeah, camp they'll stack, yeah. And what I usually found was if you found a shoreline that was, it was, really pretty flat mm-hmm. you know going along that shoreline where you were catching some well if you found a spot where there was a channel or a, some kind of a dip that went up mm-hmm. perpendicular to the shoreline uh one of my favorites was one of the old uh, uh places where they worked on all the ships yeah you know a little shipyard so they, they had yeah. one in there that's where they stage almost just on the other side of it yeah whereas they were coming out of the bay they would they'd hit that deep water They'd swim across that deep water. It was like they would, as soon as they hit the shallow water on the other side, that's where they stopped. Uh, and they catching took a, break. a breath. Catching a breath, yeah. <laughs> and they took a break right there. And I would camp out on one of those spots yeah. uh, back when the flounder limit was 10 you know, mm-hmm. and uh, managed to pick up a full limit of good-sized flounder that yeah. way. So good. look for a little bit of structure on an open shoreline. Mm-hmm. Any kind of, anything that changes the current just a little bit, they're going to lay right. up next to that. Uh you know, in our industrial bay, uh, you can find them. You can find stuff like that. Tires. If you uh, see an old barge, old barge, mm-hmm. anything like that, it's going to have washouts around the edge of it from the tide. Uh, throw up into those little spots. As the flounder are going to duck out of that current just a little bit, and then they're lazy too. Make sure they're your trolling let, motor's working. Right. Uh, <laughs> Charge imp- the batteries. That's it, important because you're going to want to move a lot. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to maybe stick a, a stick a spot if you're offshore, and, and I mean if you're throwing onto the shoreline. Um, and the other thing about flounder run, and I texted you this this week, is uh, one one thing one thing I've learned is a warmer winter is not necessarily a good thing for the flounder that particular year. They, it tends to string it out for longer mm-hmm. longer period of time. Well, because the warmer winter will uh, more algae will grow, which means more you know the, the whole food chain there. Uh, more high grass, more whatever, and that leads to, uh, uh, I think, a, a, a hypoxia, I think is what it's called. Right. And, and so the flounder are more delicate fish as, as fingerlings and smaller fish than, than trout and redfish. So they might not be able to handle that as well if it's a warm winter. When, believe it or not, colder, cooler weather, the flounder tend to to survive a little better. We seem to seem to do all right when it gets good and cold. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't know about that, but uh, that that's just been my uh, my experience with flounder. But don't be afraid to move around a little bit. Don't be afraid if you catch two or three in a row. Just obviously that's common sense. But to stick there and go back there. Uh, there's a barge. I, I said that a couple of times that I like. Uh, I go to that barge every year. Everybody's got a flounder hole. They're just right there. They're stuck. It's it's, it's, it's they're just stuck on it. And uh, it's a good thing to do. I had three tires that were in a triangle <laughs> along the Galveston Ship Channel. It was there for three or four years yeah. before they finally got washed away or whatever happened. Hurricane or and uh, those three tires, I could barely see them. They were about two, three to three foot of water up mm-hmm. on Sandy Bank. Yeah. And right behind those tires, I could count on it every day. I'd pull up there and I could pick off one or two flounder right. off of it. And catching flounder with artificials is just different. Uh, it's a different sure. style, different technique. I mean, you got to be, you got to know what you're looking for. You got to know what's going to be there because you'll pull it right out of their mouths. Right. Um, there's certain baits that uh, I, I, I've mentioned. I like to use the Deadly Dudley. I'll use that, the smaller version. I've used some with a little feathery tail. They founders seem to like the little 
whatever it's called, uh, kind of like a feathery tail. I don't know what you like to use, but uh, but you've got to. They they tend to drag on the bite more than hit the bite. And if you watch them when they eat, I've done that in the marsh. Mm-hmm. Watched them from my polling platform. It's pretty interesting. Uh, they're laying on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this flounder laying there up on a little mud bank on the on the side of a bayou. So I decided I'd sit and watch him <laughs> and uh, just see if I could learn anything. Mm-hmm. And he's facing into the current, and a bunch of little mud minnows were getting washed around that corner. And the tide was moving pretty good, falling out. He was laying there maybe six inches of water, came up off the bottom in a flash, I mean, yeah. like a snake striking, yeah. and grabbed a pretty good size minnow mm-hmm. and brought it down to, back down to the bottom, just settled back down. Well, the minnow just sat there squirming, and it, it couldn't get away. You know, the flounder teeth. Yeah. If you've ever, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever gotten yeah. gotten hit by one of those. Uh, but he just held it, mm-hmm. and that, that little minnow just struggled and struggled and struggled. But that flounder did not try to eat it. Just laid there. He did like a predatory and thing. Just kind of made sure he, he just waited. Yeah. And then when that fish finally mm-hmm. gave up and was just barely twitching, yeah, he made one little quick move, opened his mouth, sucked it right in. That's a great lesson right there because that, that ties in with what I just said. They tend yeah. to drag on their bite, right? More than just like a trout will, will hit you. Uh, redfish various ways, but they'll hit you too. Flounder will just, it's it's almost like if you scrape your hand over a chalkboard. It's like, it's just, they, they yeah. kind of, it's a different kind of bite. And that's exactly what they're doing. How often do you lose the tail oh. on your soft plastic <laughs> when you're fishing, when you know you're fishing for flounder? Yeah. And you come up with uh, the tail missing on yeah. your, your and, and so plastic. if you miss that bite too, you, you need to realize that that was a different kind of bite. And I know experience comes into play too. There's flounder here, so you need to kind of change your strategy. Slow it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, change your strategy a little bit. All right, let's talk about strategizing, as uh, as they say, uh, for <laughs> for for snook. Um, I'm 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 fascinated with the snook population in Texas right now. I'm going to have to make a run down south, uh, you know, somewhere where there's more snook. Uh, but they're kind of coming up, and as you were telling me recently, that was one caught at Port O'Connor jetties this week. Yeah, Will, Will Granberry caught one over there. His guys, yeah, uh, just fishing the jetties, catching reds, and they pulled a snook in. And snook will, will bang that bait too. Oh yeah. Anything yeah. different though that we need to know? Uh, structure. They're mm-hmm. pure structure fish. Yeah. Uh, if you bass fish. If you know any kind of techniques for bass fishing, that works on snook. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to sit close to the structure. They're going to use tree the limbs. tide, tree limbs, uh, tires, whatever, uh, jetties, jetties. jetties, the rocks. Uh, I had a big snook come out on me this year mm-hmm. at the jetties in Port O'Connor. I was sewing for tarpon, mm-hmm. and I saw the flash. And it's unmistakable. It's kind of yellowish looking. Yeah. And uh, it was a big flash when a snook came out tried to eat my fly. And he missed. I sat in one spot for 30 minutes throwing <laughs> back at it. But I've done enough snook fishing over in, in Florida yeah. and down in Belize and different places. Uh, it's all about the structure. Right. Uh, throwing tight to the structure. If, you, if you're not hanging up every now and then, you're mm-hmm. not getting close enough. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Um, another way that I've heard is the back bass fishermen used to use this term. I don't know if it's very common, but I heard it a couple of times. Doodle socking is what they call it. Right. Throw it into the tree. Like literally hit a limb. In this case, hit a limb or hit a rock if you're the jetties or structure as you just talked about, and like let it let it get into the shade basically underneath right. the limb and and work it. I don't know if you necessarily have to work it slow, but make sure it stays in that area a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's where they are. Yep. It, that's why we earlier you were talking about 
I thought it was you were saying in the marsh. I was like the marsh for a, a snook. I've never heard of that, but I'm sure there's some. Yeah, there's there are going to be a few, but but it's mostly structure, heavy structure, structure oriented. <laughs> yeah, in Florida, it's all about the mangroves. Yeah, you know they're going to be up in those roots of the mangroves. Well, we don't have that, mm-hmm. um, but we've got rock jetties with a lot of cracks and crevices. We've got docks all up and down our coast. Right. Uh, and while you're fishing those docks, you're going to feel the little tick-tick mm-hmm. bite along the way, too. And that's going to be mangrove snapper, which is something else that's really come on strong over the last few What's years. What's that population looking like? Uh, really good. Yeah? Uh, I can count on them at, in Port O'Connor at the jetties. If I got a kid trip, mm-hmm. we got some live shrimp, we're going to drop down there. <laughs> we're going to catch us some snapper. Mm-hmm. Uh I love them. Yeah. I, mean, I call them crappie of the bay. <laughs> uh, if, if my wife wants some, some fish. fish to eat, yeah. I'll go catch me some yeah. mangrove snapper and catch four or five of those. Tell you know. what. They're, they're not huge. They're you know, 10, 12 inches. Mm-hmm. But wherever those things are hanging out, wherever you start finding them, that's where you're going to find some snook. Yeah, some more good information right there. What's the snook population like up up mid-coast? I know, I, and I, I know south, uh, lower coast, they're, they're, there's snook. Oh, there's plenty of snook down south. Yeah, but let's talk about mid-coast. Mid-coast is getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that freeze last year kind of hurt them, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I saw pictures of a dozen 30-inch-plus snook that were picked up in Port O'Connor. You sent me from, one of those. I thought it was from Florida. Yeah, and <laughs> they were all picked up around Port O'Connor. There's a lot of rumors as to where they were, Yeah, and I've heard five or six different locations on them. Right. But I know they were out of Port O'Connor because that's that's where the boat. Left you knew out. the guys too, and I knew the guys in yeah. their Port O'Connor area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was in December, January last year, there were over a dozen big snook right hanging out somewhere in Port O'Connor. Uh, that means they're living there. Yeah, they're not. They're having babies. They don't migrate. Yeah, they're, they're not like the tarpon. They're not going to go down south. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their their population is just creeping further and further up the coast. And that's fantastic. I'd love to get a thirty inch. Well. 30-inch trout, but I'd love to get a 30-inch snook as well, and they're fun to catch, man. Oh, yeah. They're fun they're, to catch. My biggest is about 36, 38 inches down Florida. That's big My time. biggest in Texas is a little over 30. All right. We were talking about cool front coming in this weekend, um, what to do, how, what to expect, et cetera. I, I get a lot of questions uh, about dropping pressure versus uh, rising pressure. You have any thoughts on uh, on any of those, uh, or is it is it kind of like what I, what my saying is with uh, water movement, tide coming in or tide going out? Which you like better? The answer is yes. I like them both as long as as long as yeah. it's doing one or the other. Right. Uh, the pressure thing gets a lot of attention, mm-hmm. and some people swear by it. Some people swear at it. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of neutral on it because talking to a real good friend of mine who's a fisheries biologist with Texas Parks and Wildlife and mm-hmm. retired from there, uh, Bill Harvey, down down there. He he came up with uh, some of the kayak trails and things oh, around cool, Port Aransas. Cool. Good guy. Uh, he does a lot of photography, and he and I hang out together mm-hmm. with the photography stuff now. And he's a real interesting guy to talk to about all the fish biology stuff. He worked a lot with bass. Right. And one of the things they found, everybody always said, okay, following a fr- cold front, our our pressures are super high. Right. Fish don't bite on the, those high pressures. Well, the pressure that a fish can feel in the water, mm-hmm. it would have to change dramatically, much more than what we get in a front, for a fish to – they can move two feet in the water. Right. In a water column, drop two feet down. You've been in a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Your ears start yeah. popping. 
you know, when you go down, right. that's the the pressure. It's the same thing with your atmospheric pressure. Mm-hmm. But they, they can go down a foot, two foot, and make... And, and there's nothing. And it's exactly the same as yeah. one of our worst cold fronts right. with a major pressure change. So he didn't really think that the pressure had that much to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with those comes a drop in temperature, and the water temperature drops. So they started doing some studies on them, and what they found was there's an enzyme mm-hmm. in their stomach that helps them digest food right at when there was a serious drop in temperature that enzyme had to morph the dna of that enzyme actually changed oh my gosh in a matter of days Mm -hmm. following a severe drop in cold Mm -hmm. they could not digest food until that enzyme changed with the water temperature. So on a drop in temperature, it's like they can't eat. They can't eat. If they ate, it couldn't be digested. Yeah. So it would take a day, two days, three days, depending on the front, Mm -hmm. depending on how how much of a cold front we're talking about. Right. It would take several days sometimes for those enzymes to catch up Mm -hmm. with the conditions. Where they can feed again. And then they could start eating again. Huh. Which kind of coincides with the... uh, other part of it well when the temperature or the pressure is dropping before the next front yeah. our fronts are usually four five six days apart right okay now the pressure is dropping again with the next front coming and we got a big feed right well that fish didn't get to eat for two or three days it's not so much the the dropping pressure i think it's the other conditions it's the the enzyme that's prevented them from being able to digest food I think it's a big as a part res- of it. As a result of the high pressure. He found that in the bass, so then mm-hmm. they started looking into it and found Makes the same sense. thing in redfish. I, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I don't pay attention to pressure rising or falling very much at all. No, I just go fish. I've, well, I've, but, well, I'm gonna, well there's day, obviously, there are days that I'm going to go fish hell or high water, literally. Right. Uh, but if I'm looking at conditions, okay, where do I need to, to what do I need to, to think about here? High pre- rising pressure and lowering, uh, lowering pressure is the last thing I look at. Uh, there, there's so many other things that I think affect the feeding much right. more, and we just talked about a bunch of them. And the other thing on the pressure, okay, a lot of the fishing is really good when you've got some cloud cover, mm-hmm. you got a little wind rippling the top, things like that. That's what's happening when you're getting a low pressure before a front. You generally have a little off water, you yeah. know, a little, might have some mist and rain, you might have, right. you know, and those days are generally pretty good conditions for fishing. So the dropping pressure, I don't think, is affecting the fish. Right. I think it's affecting the weather and the and, conditions. And the, and conditions, the conditions affect the fish. fish. That's what I'm saying. I don't think the, the absolute of the low pressure and the absolute of the high pressure, mm-hmm. if you took all the other conditions away, I don't think that really makes a big difference I think you're, to a fish. I think you're, you're making a lot of sense there. There's so many other things. All right, we, we covered a lot here. This show moved very, very fast. Uh, before we go, this is the Bite Me uh, podcast, Texas Saltwater Fishing Podcast. That's Captain Scott Noll. Uh, I'm John Lopez. A little bit about what to, if you go, are going fishing this weekend, what we would recommend, what you would recommend, Scott, but you can find you and book trips, uh, whether it's fly fishing, bait casting, uh, whatever type of fishing, salt, uh, redfish, uh, offshore, uh, uh, obviously uh, tarpon, uh, whatever you want to do, you, you can get done with Captain Scott. It's CaptainScottNull.com. What what would you recommend right now? What is what is really going to be your uh, your go to trips uh, this this next couple of weeks? Redfish, yeah, redfish, uh, redfish in the marsh. Mm-hmm. Well, those shrimp are going to be starting to make their move towards the bay. Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to get pretty good. All right, uh, what do we recommend? Uh, Trinity East Bay uh, up here, Sabine on the on the upper coast. 
Matagorda, Port O'Connor, Midcoast. Uh, what are we looking at here? Any places that have the marsh where mm-hmm. the shrimp have been growing up. Mm-hmm. The shrimp are going to start moving out. The redfish are going to eat them in there. The flounder are going to be hanging out at the mouths of those places. Yeah. Uh, as this front blows in and starts dumping a little bit of water, it's not going to be a great one, but the next one might be a northwest front. Uh, I would I would hang out close to the marsh, uh, even with the trout. The once the shrimp start moving out of those marshes, you're going to start seeing the birds yep. working. I got uh, a couple of reports of birds working just, this week. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, this morning, I had a buddy of mine said, "Guess what?" And he sent me a video of some birds working. He said there were croaker working underneath the birds. <laughs> I was like, what? I was they like, didn't net all of them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they start selling them for bait. That was another episode that we that we were talking about. All right. Uh, that is Captain Scott Noll. I'm John Lopez. Next week, really, uh, actually in the next few days. So so stay here. You can uh, download this podcast. You can listen to it on uh, all the places you get your podcast. I, w- I want to ask you, and we're going to talk a little bit about some how-tos and the best things to do. If you're going near shore fishing, maybe like uh, we'll call it, uh, short rigs, people call it that. Uh, offshore fishing and bay boats. We're going to talk about that. Star tournament fishing stories. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I've got a couple of texts, uh, a couple of uh, messages and emails from uh, people who are listening to this podcast. And again, thank you for listening because it's been a lot of fun. And I think a lot of people are enjoying it. Um, and also, uh, we'll get to your questions, uh, whatever those are. We'll answer it in episode five. This is episode four. Share it with your friends. Make sure you enjoy it. Uh, We like to say, I hope it's true, I think it's true, Uh, listen to us today and be a better fisherman tomorrow. That's Captain Scott Null. I'm John Lopez. We will talk to you next time.